ночной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash seansrussiablog or to the podcast's website, seansrussiablog.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the Table of Ranks. The bathhouse, or banya, is one of the oldest Russian cultural institutions. The earliest textual evidence of the banya is from about the 10th century. Archaeological evidence is much older. There's a whole way of life associated with the banya, as evidenced by the many proverbs devoted to it, like, without the banya, we're like a body without a soul, and the banya washes away all sins. So what is the banya all about in today's Russia? For some insight and anecdotes, I turn to Brian McWilliams to talk about his devotion to the banya. Brian McWilliams is a journalist, essayist, poet, and translator. His writings have appeared in publications big and small, including the New York Times, the Chronicle of Higher Education, Nature, the Literary Review, and Body. His book, The Girl in a Haystack, A True Life Holocaust Story from Ukraine, is forthcoming in the fall of 2018 from Serving House Books. His memoir, With Light Steam, A Personal Journey Through the Russian Baths, was published by Northern Illinois University Press. Here's Brian McWilliams. So before we, we get into your book, With Light Steam, A Personal Journey Through the Russian baths. I thought we'd start by having you talk a bit about yourself, what brought you to Russia in the 1990s, and what type of, you were a journalist there, so what type of reporting did you do in your experience doing that? Well, I was a uh, reporter in the States, too, before I moved to Russia. Um, I had worked at newspapers in southern New Jersey and Philadelphia, and in 1996, when I moved, uh, I was working in Southern California for a newspaper there. And um, I covered courts primarily. So state and federal courts, but mostly criminal court. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote primarily about, uh, well, violence and death. And um, I think it was one of those moments where if I steal uh, a line from uh, Joseph Campbell, the late Joseph Campbell, uh, he talks about Sometimes in life, uh, you find yourself climbing a ladder uh, and you sort of get to the top and you realize uh, it's leaning against the wrong wall. And, you know, and I was basically at that point um, as a journalist in Southern California, I had a, I guess you could say I had a, 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 an outwardly uh, successful career, but, um, you know, writing about death all the time, it wasn't so much that this uh, the death itself, writing about it was difficult, but it made me look at my own life in a different way. And so I, I, I you know, it's, if you ask anybody, uh, I think everyone will agree that if you say, oh, well, you know, there's no guarantee for tomorrow, 
you know, you could be, this could be your last day or tomorrow could be your last day. But we don't really live our lives as if that were true. And, um, and I realized all these people I was writing about, uh, who <laughs> most of them didn't expect either by accident or by design to be dead the next day. And I just thought, okay, if I'm no special human being like a Mandela or Jesus or, you know, some, <laughs> some special human being, I'm just like anyone. And, um, and I thought, is this okay? If I go tomorrow, is this what I want to be doing? And at the time, like I said, it, it seemed like it, I, I was having some success, but um, I don't know. It was 12 or more hours a day, uh, very stressful, um, you know, and I, 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 and I was mostly, most of my stories appeared in the Metro section, which is, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, local news is often the, the best news for readers, but I just, um, I, I wanted to travel some more. I got into journalism as a test. You know, I wanted to write literature, but I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the discipline or the skills. I don't, I didn't think. And I thought if I can't uh, do journalism, I probably can't do other forms of writing either. And anyway, but I, I had a crisis, you know, and I felt like I was sort of emptying inside and that I wasn't on my path. You know, I didn't know exactly what my path was, but I knew I wasn't on it anymore. And I needed to make a break. And, uh, and that was the genesis of why I moved to Russia. Why Russia? Um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not a Russophile and I was never a Russophile. Um, but I had read a lot of Russian literature and translation. Uh, I didn't speak Russian. I, I had a friend, uh, I still have uh, one of my oldest and best friends, uh, who was working in Moscow for the Moscow Times. He was, a, he was an editor there. I think he moved there to work on the copy desk and became an editor. Anyway, he was visiting me in L.A. Uh, one time, and we went out and had a, bit, had a great dinner and a bit too much to drink. And, uh, or maybe just the right amount to drink. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, basically... He's the one who told, I was telling him basically what I, I just told you. And he said, you know, Brian, it, it's not so important where you go first. The most important thing is to make a break, take that first step. Uh, why don't you come to Russia? And I think, you know, he's the kind of guy, especially at that time in his life, who sort of tried to surround himself uh, with friends and people who were supportive. And, um, and so I think partly he wanted me to be there, and I, but partly I was desperate uh, I was desperate. For, I, I, I kind of was hoping he would say something like that, to be honest. And, and that's, that's why I went. I didn't plan to stay very long, but I did. Yeah, you ended up staying for what, 12 years? Yeah, just about. And, and when you were, you also were a journalist there. So what type of, did you continue the same type of journalism? Or did you, I mean, this, a perfect 1996 is kind of a great time to go if you're reporting on crime. So, um, <laughs> so did you continue with that? Or did you write, uh, what other stuff did you, or what did you write about? And what was your experience being a journalist there, as opposed to say here in the United States? You know, I didn't think I would be a journalist because at first, even though, um, I didn't speak Russian, you know, like I, I thought I had a talent for languages. I, like I spoke, like I said, some Spanish and I, I studied Latin in school. And, um, but it turns out I'm not as uh, talented as I thought with languages. And it probably took me like, you know, in the first year you can learn to speak some Russian, you can uh, haggle at the market to buy your food and things like that. But it probably took me several years to become fluent, about four years. 
Uh, and of course, even after that, there are different levels of fluency. So I, I didn't, I went there and scrounged up whatever work I could find. Mostly it was um, teaching English. Uh, and then as I got better with Russian, you know, uh, people would come in, other journalists would come in for two or three years and then they'd leave. And if, if you were a stringer or a freelancer, um, you had to give up your string and sometimes uh, a, a, leaving, a journalist who was about to leave would say, hey, you know, I'm going, shall I introduce you to this editor? They're looking for someone who's, who's got some experience. And so that's, that's how it worked for me. I was uh, set up, there was a, a journalist who was working for the Chronicle of Higher Education which, which is a weekly out of uh, Washington, D.C., but quite quite good. Uh, I was very happy to start writing for them. And even though my Russian was still shaky, um, I was able to start doing some stories for them, and then I would end up, over time, I began doing stories for other publications, especially as my Russian got better. So you have this book uh, about the Banya, uh, interesting topic, um, you know, kind of always seen as an, an integral part of, kind of Russian culture and a very, you know, long durée of, of Russian culture. So uh, uh, what drew you to to the Banya to inspire you enough to, to write about your experience with it? You know, I didn't, I, I had no idea what the Banya was, uh, that there was such a thing called the Banya uh, before I moved to Russia. I'd been to a couple saunas, you know, uh, in the States like those steamy YMCA <laughs> steam rooms and a couple gym saunas, nothing uh, so-called, you know, seemingly authentic as it were. But one day uh, a buddy uh, was, was doing a story, I think it was for Time Out, um, the UK uh, publication, and it was like what to do in Moscow. And so he was doing a little segment on, on banyas. And I didn't even know what they were, but uh, he's like, hey, you want to come? You can... I, I used to, I had been a photographer uh, for publications before I was a reporter. So I went as the photographer, but mostly just to, just to go. <laughs> and, and it was such a, you know, as they say in Russian, it's a, a, it's like um, a discovery. It's like a, cause it's like whatever, you know, it was a difficult time, I think to be, in Moscow and in Russia in, in the mid to late 90s. Um, I'm not saying it was as dif difficult for me as it was for Russians, uh, to the extent I knew I, I could I could leave if I had to. Um, but life was exhausting. It was very exciting and chaotic, uh, but it was also exhausting. And I noticed we went after steaming. I, I just noticed that whatever weight and sort of heaviness I was carrying um, was gone. And I didn't know that I was carrying it. I just knew that it, I, I, I knew I was carrying it when I realized it was gone. My body felt different. It felt lighter. My skin looked better. I was smiling for some reason, you know, there's not a lot of laughter, like, like belly busting laughter in Moscow, especially in the nineties. And, uh, and I was just, I just felt good and I looked better and I thought, and so did my friend. And the, we, so we just started checking out all these banyas and, uh, uh, and it, I realized it's what I need, um, and and it's no accident, of course, that it's it's so uh, it's such a big part of Russian culture. I think it what it did. I, I realized it was uh, helping me sort of recover from the week that was, and setting me up for the week to come. So if I went once a week, 
it turned out Sunday mornings was became our regular day. It it just it's it just made life uh more bearable and enjoyable and um survivable <laughs> and and what what is the, the give a bit of the history of this institution of the banya and what are the rituals around it because it's very there's lots of different things one has to do different practices were to have a proper bath well you know in some ways it's like one of the simplest things you know like um it depends how far you want to go back in history, but uh, the the Russian Academy of Sciences and other researchers, no, no one really knows where it began. Uh, it predates recorded history, um, but the earliest banyas were basically piles of rocks, very very primitive stoves with some kind of um, you, you, some kind of structure around them. So it didn't have to be necessarily a building like a room with you know studs and boards. It, it could be. A sort of uh, structure, uh, branches you had lashed together and firs sort of piled over it, um, like the Scythians used to use, things like that. But the earliest banyas were, um, I guess, historically, if you, one way to describe it is, um, let's say someone buys, a, uh, has a piece of property. And before they build their house, uh, this young couple, let's say, uh, would build a banya first. And so a banya has a stove. It has sort of benches uh, around the walls um, that so they would live in the banya and could while they were building the house and um, then the banya became it was these were working buildings it wasn't just for pleasure <laughs> it was a way to it was a way to wash yourself at least once a week traditionally the banya was uh, the banya day was on Saturday and it was where a woman gave birth. Uh, most people were born in banyas. It was a source of hot water um, and heat. Um, the day uh, a couple before they got married, the day before the wedding, uh, the woman, the bride, uh, would go with her the, her girlfriends and women in the village, and there were certain bridal rituals um, they would experience, and then the groom would go with his guy friends. And then the day after you got married, you'd steam as a couple. And then um, when you die before they put you in the ground, uh, you would often about, you know, the person would be anointed um, in the banya. So basically every major transition of human life took place there. They were also giant places, you know, and, and magic is still somewhat popular in Russia. I don't think it's quite as popular uh, since I left over the last 10 years, but but it's, it's a place that's seen as a crossroads of the natural and unnatural worlds. So, um, you can find it in literature and Pushkin and Tolstoy, um, but people would go there to practice magic. Uh, women would go there to try to divine their fortunes, <laughs> um, and uh, it's considered a little bit scary at night. It even has a a kind of domestic goblin uh, called the Banik. Yeah, it isn't especially um, seen as friendly, especially toward uh, pregnant women and uh, new mothers. Yeah. So do you do you do you know if it's uh if there's a it's you know it's so it's considered a liminal space in in many respects like you said this threshold between worlds is it because it it it's a place of cleanly a place to be to be cleansed so that cleanliness acts as the threshold for the that world I'm not sure how to answer that question I know it's 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 one place that you would leave you know you would wash yourself of dirt uh and in fact there's a saying in russian uh 
uh, it, it means the banya washes away all your sins. So it could be that you kind of uh, leave what's sort of negative, uh, as it were. Um, but it's also, I, I guess, bec- I, I don't know if I don't know how to answer that in respect to cleanliness. <laughs> I see. Well, because what I'm what I'm thinking is like, for example, you know, you just some of the things you just mentioned, like women give birth in the banya. Now, there's certain there could be all sorts of practical reasons for that, like the hot water, it's warm, but at the same time, it also is this liminal space. It's a place where married couples go before they're married, or like like bride and groom go before they're married, and then they go together. So there's a crossing of like different threshold is a in, in that ritual as well uh when you die you you your body goes through the banya it 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 from what you just based on your descriptions to me it sounds like it is a place in which you pass through so in that passing you're cleansed and you come out a different side and i mean here I, you can think of like the mikvah for example in in jewish culture in jewish religion for women right after they they menstruate have their after women have their period they have to go to the mikvah before they get married they have to go through the mikvah because they're considered an impure or unpure and before they go through this bath this ritual bath and, and this is where i my my question is drawn from so well i think that sounds uh pretty good to me i mean the earliest <laughs> no i mean <laughs> the, the, some of the earliest uh banyas were uh, attached to monasteries and uh this is probably something imported or borrowed from the greeks uh and monks would th- these were like uh, places for the marginalized uh you say in russian and it and they were like the earliest health clinics and to this day uh when i traveled in russia over the course of those almost 12 years, everywhere I went, I tried to seek out the best steam. And to this day, people still perform uh, uh, various rituals in, in the banya. There's a, sort of like a chiropractor, a bone manipulator, um, massages. Um, uh, <laughs> there, there's, there's a whole sort of, you know, folk medicine. It's, it's basically... It's basically herbal uh, in Russia. It's, it's herb-based. And so there's a lot having to do with herbs. And sometimes, very often, they're gathered certain times of day, certain times of years. And they're used um, in the steam room. Were you were, – was your attraction to it just – I mean, clearly, it's, it's from also the way you describe your experience. It's incredibly therapeutic. So is that – do you find all of those – are you attracted to – I guess what I'm asking is, you know, beyond – the fact that you go in and, and all of this weight is released off of you. What what also attracts you to this institution, this this bath? Well, I guess it's come to mean different things, um, or it came to mean different things over the passage of time. You know, I was always an outsider uh, at first. At least I was an outsider. You know, I wasn't a Russian boy. Uh, I wasn't a, <laughs> a boy in Russia who grew up going with his father every Saturday or whenever it was his father went. Um, and so for me, it was more a luxury um, and sort of like an entree into a kind of Russia or a dimension of Russia. A lot of my friends perhaps didn't get to ex- experience the same way. Like it was some, well, that that wasn't so much the draw, but I, I guess it was as I, as my Russian got better and I could understand the conversations better because a lot in, in, in the steam room in Russia, by and large, men steam separately from women. So 
in, especially if you're in a communal banya in a city or even a village, and you're a small private banya, uh, people might, uh, a family might steam together or, the, or they might go in a certain order, but there's more mixing of the sexes. Um, but so in the city, <laughs> it's, you know, there's a level, I mean, a lot of the Russian men had served in the military. Uh, there's a certain kind of um, language or way of speaking when you're in the military. Some of them had been in prison. There's a different kind of speaking or language when you're in prison. And uh, I never heard any, you know, people, and there's a lot of cursing and there's a lot of, um, it, it was just a whole, it, people related to themselves or spoke, addressed each other in a whole different way. And it, it was, uh, that was exciting. Uh, and I just loved, I love the sounds, you know, the way you make steam. It's not like one of these small, in a communal banya, it's not like one of these small, steam rooms like someone has in, in one's basement in America or in a backyard. I mean, the stove I uh, at my favorite banya in Moscow had 14 tons of pig iron in it. It's as big as the wall is, I'm trying to think how, it's like, uh, it's almost one and a half stories tall and probably about maybe 20, 25 feet wide. And it has a hatch that you kind of pull open, like, it looks like a submarine torpedo room. Yeah, and you stand and you throw this these basins of water in it. You can't even it's it's above your head. And all you can do, you 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 can't see where the water goes. You can just hear it land. And it would and if and if it was hurled really well, the water, it would land like the sound goes it's it's like a wave crashing on a sandy beach. And it's this explosion. It's it's um it's so hot that the water turns into steam instantaneously. And it's uh, it's such a cool sound and it's such a great feeling, that kind of steam. It's called light steam in Russian, if you can get that to happen. This like explosion, this instantaneous conversion of water into steam. Uh, and it just felt so good on the body. Um, so it was mostly sensual for me. Uh, my my And it wasn't so much cleaning or cleansing the body, but of course that happens too. Uh, but you know, the consistency of your sweat changes over the course of the two or so hours that you steam and you can feel that pollutants and uh i know and i know uh just from science that heavy metals come out through the skin too but i think in a city like moscow it's often pollutants uh, and dirt and um so you would feel that transformation too it's a yin and yang thing you heat up you cool down you heat up you cool down you do it at least five times over the course of two hours and you feel euphoria it brings you a high, I can only liken to like uh, a runner's high, so to speak, what people call a runner's high. Um, so it's, it was like a euphoria. And when does that happen? You know, winter's so long and it's so dark. Yeah, and you come out and uh, it's, <laughs> it's just so unlikely and, uh, and just such a kind of like a gift, you know. So in your book, you 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 encounter in through your experiences going to different banyas around Russia, you encounter a, a cast of, of characters, right? And, you know, from foreign businessmen, you have expats, you know, people like yourself and, and Russians of all ages and all classes and the people who run the baths and, and take care of them and do some of the the, pro, the therapies. And and one of the things that I found really interesting is you speak of the banya as having a and you kind of alluded to this already is that it has a certain social leveling, and the sense that everybody is kind of in the same space and you have this you know this experience together. So 
talk about some of the some of the people, especially some of the ones that feature prominently in your book. Uh, talk about some of the people you encountered uh, and the role of the Banya played in kind of forging your relationships with them. Well, I think the first time I realized, you know, that Russia, in Russian there's the saying uh, Banya, of Banya Siravny, you know, everyone's equal in the Banya, and or of Banya Pagonovnyet, there are no epaulets in the Banya. And the first time I realized that was, um, it was in Moscow before I had my sort of Sunday regular banya ritual. Uh, for instance, I would meet at uh, the Krasnopresinsky banya. banya. It's, it's like, um, I think it's called Bani na Presnye. But it's basically Krasnopresinsky near uh, 1905 Street uh, Metro. And I remember sitting in the steam room next to a guy. He was, I don't know, in his 60s. He had a, a white beard and he was kind of fit, but we were just, and normally you don't really talk in the steam room. It's, it can be quite distracting. Um, so I, I, but I think we were talking, I, I think it happened in the steam room, but he asked me where I was from. And of course my Russian wasn't as good then. And it's <laughs> my pronunciation suffering now too, because I've been away for so long, but, uh, and I told him and I, then I asked him and he said, you know, where he was from. And it turned out he was the head of the Russian space program, you know, yeah, and he's just this guy. He was he was in Moscow, I think, from Baikonur, and uh, you know, and he was he was just like this guy in a steamer. I I never would have known anything about him because you know when you're naked, you don't have any of the trappings that you have your uniform, so to speak, that showing how much wealth you have or what kind of job you have, and um, and I found that to be true basically everywhere. The um, speaking of cast of characters, the person on the cover of my book, the steam maker, who basically took me under his wing at the uh, Selesnyovsky baths in Moscow, uh, Grisha, he was an out-of-work carpenter. And um, he'd come and make steam for two hours on a Sunday morning. And you'd see all these cars on the street, these, uh, at that time, it was kind of a big deal, you know, these uh, Mercedes and uh, guys, businessmen, so to speak, with bodyguards, you know, if you're going to the Banya with your bodyguards, like two or more, um, it, it, that's, you know, you have something to be worried about and you have a, you, you probably have a lot of money or at least money in play. So these guys were coming, uh, they probably wouldn't even talk to Grisha uh, in other circumstances, but here he was, they came every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock till noon because Grisha was making steam and that's the only reason they came because his steam was so good. And so these are people who wouldn't have anything to do with him in any other aspect of life. But in the Banya, there's a word for steam makers called parilshik. And, um, you know, if someone knows how to make steam, uh, you'll travel, uh, especially, you know, some, some guys traveled, they would have cottages, so to speak, these brick uh, houses uh, with used to be called dachas in the country, but they're really just big houses. And they would travel all the way into the city just for his steam. Um, and I could talk again, I guess another way, uh, Some I didn't always go to segregated banyas. Uh, about two or three times a month, I'd go to a co-ed banya. And they weren't so common, and they still aren't. But you can go where there are men and women together, nude, everything from mothers with children to senior citizens. Uh, and you'll meet former athletes there. And even the people 
you know, I met some Olympic uh, uh, athletes. Uh, there were a, bunch, a number of women athletes um, who would go to this one banya. I went to uh, Varshavsky banya in Moscow. And even the people with the most beautiful bodies, as it were, I mean, everyone pretty much looks better in clothes. And, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, even, you know, so even these people who had status and money and, and this outward sort of beauty, it's like once you get at the banya, once you're in the banya, no one really cares. No one's really looking at your body. I mean, people notice, but no one's judging you. You know, people always notice, but like if you were to take a picture and at the banya, it doesn't matter. Like you're not, you sort of lose your self-consciousness. Um, all your sort of imperfections are open to view. Uh, if you were to take a picture and then, you know, put it in a newspaper or show it somewhere else, people would, would take what they normally take, these their judgments. They would bring to that picture what you might see online, you know, how people get trolled and uh, um, just made fun of and humiliated online. At the Banya, it just never happens. I've never seen it happen. Uh, yeah, and irrespective of how you look, I mean, you could be really big or you could be really skinny or whatever. It's just, it just doesn't happen. It's kind of like magic. Yeah, it's, you, you. this is something you um... – you remark a lot uh, frequently in your book on this issue of co-ed versus sex separ separated baths. Um, and so why is, uh, and you, you point out repeatedly, uh, it used to be more permissible. And then in the Soviet period, it was kind of eliminated and then it made a brief resurgence. And now it's going back to more segregation. Um, so wh why was this an, an important – I found this really interesting that, that you mentioned it several times. So why is this issue of co-ed versus sex separation and something that you, you find interesting to point out? I have, I guess, my personal reasons. <laughs> and then I have, uh, I think, the, you know, the historical reasons, which you sort of uh, alluded to too. Uh, I think for me – and one of the great things about Moscow and elsewhere in Russia too, but especially in Moscow in the in the in the nineties, uh, from from about the time I went uh, till around the time Putin came, was installed, um, it was it was a period of sort of great openness, um, experimentation. Uh, there was a kind of a sexual revolution. Uh, people were trying things. Um, that hadn't really been in Russian culture before. There were there weren't even words for some of it. Uh, I remember yoga was a word that was used for things that had nothing to do with yoga. It was just something esoteric or, or somewhat spiritual that wasn't orthodox or magic. It was, and so there was all this energy. And I remember for me personally, the banya is such a powerful thing. You know, we spoke earlier about how it sort of levels everyone. No matter what the stove and 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 the uh, the combination of uh, fire and air and water, it, it's more powerful than us, and it it was uh, a revelation for me. And so I thought I was attracted. I was curious about these sort of coed banyas because I had never experienced anything like it in the United States, and and I thought I might meet some interesting people there, especially girls. I thought if like. There was a girl who was uh, open enough and adventurous enough and in, uh, at peace enough with herself and her body to go to one of these places. I don't know. I thought we might have something in common. And and it was just 
it, I just didn't know what it was. So I was attracted um, at the prospects. It was like a mystery, and like that word akritia. There's there's the also word that that word uh, pradvinuti, uh, which I guess sort of means progressive in Russian. That would be the closest sort of one word synonym. And so so people who tended to be a little more adventuresome would go to places like uh, the Koya baths and they were interesting and fun to talk to. Um, so that was the main thing for me. And I liked the mood. It's kind of wonderful. Like I was saying earlier, when people start to feel comfortable enough with themselves, uh, despite their imperfections and that sort of is heightened when men or women, men and women are together. Um, especially you have women nearing midlife or in midlife, uh, I think guys get a bit of an easier ride than women do, but you know, you've had kids, uh, uh, life happens, it, it, it shows on our bodies and, you know, you get there and you can sort of, you, you can see when someone is, um, a bit intimidated and nervous. Uh, but after about 20 minutes or, or less there, uh, she's not, or, and he's not, but mostly it's, I, you know, like I said, men get have an easier time of it. I think uh, women are more generous and uh, toward men. So I think, and then so that's there's an energy with that, uh, with this sort of self love and sort of self. This it's like an awakening, and uh, it was great just to be around that energy. Now, the the at the same time, you know, the fact that most of these now are sex segregated. Um, it, it, one of the, the other themes that, that I kind of, I picked up in your experience is the fact that it is a space of, of male sociability, right? You get a beer, you hang out with your buddies, you talk, you interact with other men. And so I wanted you to get a, get a sense of what would this, this was like, uh, as an American, uh, exper American man experiencing this type of Russian masculine space and, and how did you approach it and how did you acclimate yourself to it? You know, I was always pretty, I don't want to say like a purist, because um, I'm not really like a, a, a Banya snob, you know, like I think whatever anyone likes and makes them, him or her feel better, that is great. And uh, But I was never really anyone who went there to drink or it was more about the steam for me uh, and about what happens in the steam room versus what happens when you're relaxing uh, between steams. And so a lot of the drinking and um, socializing happens either between steams or after. So the guys who would go there, and if you go to a communal bath in Russia, by and large, unless it's a small village or a small city sometimes, you get like two hours and for your money. So you've got to undress, steam, dress, and get out of there in two hours. You have to move kind of fast. Um, so if it's just socializing, it, for me, uh, that was an expensive, it could, it, could, it was starting to get expensive in Moscow. It was, it was expensive just for that. I, I, I tended to go there for the steam, but, but when I would travel, um, especially in the provinces uh, of Russia and I pretty much, I got almost everywhere except maybe Chukotka in the far Northeast. Um, I wasn't. Uh, Abramovich was governor there. I, I wasn't able to get permission to go. They wouldn't give it to me. And I, so I could have gone, but if I got caught, that would have created problems for me elsewhere. So I never did. But um, but often guys would sort of, uh, and sometimes women, but mostly men would invite you to their private banya. And that can be different because uh, there, 
you know, that person who owns it is the Khazayan. He's the one who, who owns it. And his sort of ritual might be less about steaming than mine. It might be, like you said, more about socializing. In that case, sometimes there's a lot of drinking um, and it's like a test. Um, uh, it really is, you know, it's, can I, to what extent, uh, can I trust this guy? What, what extent am I comfortable with this guy? And sometimes that was a precursor to interviews. Um, and I'd get a better interview uh, and more information if someone had steamed with me first. We had a, a connection in some ways uh, unspoken. Um, so, so sometimes, a lot of times people and men were skeptical that I might be able to handle myself in a banya. But my experiences in Moscow, because I was American, you know, uh, but my experiences in Moscow have prepared me for <laughs> uh, most everything I encountered. So, uh, yeah. Each of your chapters of the book uh, begins with the banya is, and, and here are the, the words that, that follow for each chapter. You know, the banya is everything. It's an entire philosophy, communion, holy, and life. And it, it sounds like from these words, I mean, it really does sound like that the banya as an experience and the banya as a culture is almost a religious experience. So how do you relate? Why, why are these words uh, the titles of your chapters? What are they, what are they meant to, to say? Sure. And, you know, I should uh, just tell you before I answer that, like, as I, as I listen to you ask ask questions, I sometimes realize that I didn't, I haven't fully answered <laughs> the previous question. So if there's something that seems a little incomplete, it's just because uh, the way my uh, feel free to to bring me back to it, because um, uh, sometimes the whatever the words just like writing it, they take you into certain places, and uh, you have to find segues to get back to. <laughs> but um, all those chapter titles are. Uh, or answers Russians gave me uh, as I traveled uh, and doing reporting and research for the book, uh, I would ask, sometimes I would ask certain people, I would say, hey, you know, how do you explain, how would you explain the banya to a foreigner, especially say an American? And someone would say, ah, the banya is everything. Banya is vse, banya is the banya is life. Um, and the banya is life is, as it happens, the chapter where I go to a black Black Banya, the granddaddy of, of all Banyas in Chuvashia, where it's it's used, it's a it's a major part of life. Um, uh, you know, Banyas, like you said, communion at the Abshinya. Uh, that's where I went to um, uh, Magnitogorsk uh, in the Urals and Bashkortostan, where it like you, where it's it's more of a social thing. Um, uh, so so those were answers that were given to me. Uh, and they seemed relevant. They became sort of sub-themes for the book um, under the general umbrella of Banya culture. Um, and as far as religious experience, you know, it's interesting because, of course, it's uh, uh, for me, you know, it's <laughs> I went every Sunday, uh, which is often the time people go to church. And I didn't really think of it so much as religious, but, you know, it's... Um, it's certainly regular. It's certain religious. It's certainly religious, as in when you do something religiously regularly, um, and it feels essential. Uh, if I went two weeks without a banya, I was really suffering. Um, and 
maybe that sounds a little bit um, extravagant in English to say suffering, but but <laughs> in Russian you would say stradanya, right? Like so, like I was really, but but I was sort of suffering. Like I really felt I needed it and I missed it. Um, I I think you know to the extent that people uh, would do magic uh, in Banya's, I think sometimes. It, you know, it's very pagan. So to call something that's that's very pagan religious is a complicated thing, especially in Russia with the resurgence of yeah, right. But I know what I mean by religious is not like established religion, like Christianity or something. But but the the really the the euphor the the experience of of religious ritual and belief and and I mean you know the, the words that uh, that you that. Russians gave you to explain the Banya. I mean, it really is uh, about it. There's something like spiritual about it. It seems to me. Let's put it in those terms, not religious, but spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's like, like what is, you know, I noticed coming back to the United States, you know, I've been back uh, almost, almost 10 years, let's say eight, eight plus almost around nine years. And, and, it's like <laughs> the one thing I, 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 I do most, you know, I, I'm not married. I don't have children. Um, I move around a lot. I go places, find work at a certain place, do some writing and some reporting, and then move. I'm sort of it, itinerant in a way. And the thing I crave most, the, the, the thing I have that gives me most structure in my life personally is connection. It's um, uh, friends I have, a sort of constellation of friendships throughout this country and in other countries. And I think the thing... What you get with the banya, especially if it's a communal banya, uh, is connection. But it's not even it's it's partly connection with yourself, uh, because every time you go to the banya, is different. Because the week you lived before you got there, uh, that varied from the week before. Maybe you got more sleep or less sleep. Maybe you had more stress or less stress at work. Maybe you had a better love and sex life than you did the time before. Maybe your health, maybe literally something is is going on with your body. Um, so you have to, even though you're in a group of people, you have to pay attention to what your body is telling you. Uh, you know, one week you might feel super strong and for some reason you're sitting, if, if it's a big steam room, it might have three or four levels of benches, like bleachers. So you might be sitting at the top where it's hottest and next week, you feel like you have to sit at the bottom and you don't know why, but that's what your body says. And so you do it. So you have to listen to your body. And then you're with people, often people would steam at the same time in the same place every week. So you might see these people like you and I um, in Pittsburgh, let's say they're Pittsburgh, there's a banya. And <laughs> you happen to be free a certain day of the week and uh, I did too. And so we go and maybe we never even talk, but I can tell from your body language, uh, how you're carrying yourself, how you look in the, in the face, what's kind of going on with your life, uh, how you're doing. And so you have a connection. Um, it, it's just like, it just buoys you. It, it, it helps orient you to the things that are most important. Uh, it's not some other deadline at work. It's not some other bill to pay. It's uh, it's you, the Banya is restorative that way and uplifting, and I think in that sense it can definitely be um, like a religious experience. And there's community, there's real community, like you do have in some churches. 
And so how does the how does the banya give you a window into or give you a window into Russian culture and society? Like how do you do you understand that place through the banya? Well, I, I can't think of anything uh, that's more Russian. And everyone I've anyone I've talked to, uh, no one's been able to say, "Oh no, no, some, this is actually more Russian than this." I mean, every every country has every sort of culture has a a, a bath culture um, by and large, um, and uh, but the Russian, <laughs> you know, it's it's a little different, you know, compared to a sauna, the earliest saunas, uh, they, they're called Savusan. It's uh, the, the Finnish style sauna. It's called the smoke sauna. And it's basically identical to what Russians call the black banya or the smoke banya. The smoke banya would be called kornaya banya, or else black banya is chornaya banya. But they're, they're one and the same, and they probably arose around the same place. Uh, no one really knows for sure. Um, but where you have fins, you know the the finicky, the bunch, bunches of leafy bundles of leafy twigs that you bring into a steam room, and you rehydrate, you massage yourself and each other. Um, they're smaller in Finland, they're bigger in Russia. You know the fins might use a few cents in the in the steam room, some oils, maybe say some uh, birch tar or some beer or some eucalyptus, maybe pine. You know, Russians <laughs> will use more in combinations. It's a little more intense. Uh, it's a little more steamy. Um, you can't see the steam in either place, but it's a little more intense. And I, th I think, you know, Russia was an empire twice. I think <laughs> I think it has some manifestation uh, in the intensity of the banya. But I think, yeah, and I think um, it, like we talked briefly before about birth, marriage, and death, that these things would happen uh, in the same building, that this was the first building you built before you built your house, that if it's still a status thing. The one thing that's happening in Russia was this kind of interesting, at least it was when I left, and um, was that a lot of the communal baths were being torn down for other business enterprises that were more profitable. But people were, it, they were sort of migrating out to the countryside again, um, which is where they began. Um, and so it's if you have money even or even if you don't have money you even if you have money and you have a hot shower and everything else uh regular bathrooms you'll still build a banya and uh and they become status things so you even have trophy banyas these days so i think there there you can find that across all classes um uh so i think that's also an insight uh into russia so it one of the things, you know, the banya has been exported outside of Russia. And, um, and so I, I thought I'd have you give a talk a bit about, you know, what is your experience in the banya outside of Russia? And how does it compare if, if it's there's any comparison at all? Um, sure, there. <laughs> um, I, I think, well, I live uh, right outside Philadelphia. Um, so um which is on the far east of southeast of Pennsylvania. And there's one banya in the Philadelphia area. Um, and when I came back to the States, uh, it was a tricky time for me because I didn't, I had a book to finish. Uh, I didn't have, I'd been out of the country for all of my thirties. Um, I didn't have a regular job. Um, you know, newspapers really tanked uh, while I was away. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, the jobs, some jobs that were there, some jobs were just gone and wouldn't come back. And 
I thought, okay, I can't, I might not be able to, I was having a hard time and I found out there was a banya outside Philly and um, I started going. I figured, well, it worked for me in Russia. Maybe it'll work for me here. And I found out that um, it, it, it's, it's a real steam room. I mean, the stove is uh, like the size of an SUV. Uh, it easily gets up to you know 200 degrees, uh, sometimes higher. Actually, I have, to, I have to cool it down. And so what happened? I started going uh, once every once every couple of weeks, and uh, people I would make steam because I learned how to do it in Moscow from Grisha, and people would say, "Hey, uh, when's the next time you're going to be here?" Because uh, it's better when someone's making steam. Otherwise, you're just laying in a hot room, you know, and it's dry and, you know, there has to be steam. <laughs> so, uh, I would say, okay, you know, whenever, and I would start to send emails and then there got to be too many people. So I started a Facebook group. Yeah. And there are almost 400 people, I guess now in this Facebook group, you have to ask to join. It's called Philly steamers. Um, so, and I go about twice a month and I make steam and sometimes there are, uh, six people there. Sometimes there are 36, um, sometimes more actually. And, and for about three to four hours, I make steam, maybe sometimes even more because people come down from New York, they come up from DC and, and I travel when I travel in the States, I also go to Banyas, you know, New York isn't, it doesn't have the bath culture it used to have. Um, it's, they're not, but you know, there's, there's, there are Banyas, there's a sort of like a Banya that, you know, it's funny in the States, uh, people call Schwitz's banyas uh, sometimes, you know, and a Schwitz is basically a sort of a Jewish immigrant steam room. You, you might washing, you might wash there. It's a very, it's a more humid uh, steam. Um, it's not quite a banya, but there's, there's in Seattle, there are two banyas. Uh, one called, one's called Banya 5. It's probably the best um, sort of American compromise <laughs> to the banya like it looks really good it looks like this uh finished sort of architecture it's it's really lovely they have like a um an app that tells you how many people are in the steam room so you can sort of time so it's not too crowded and they got these infused waters and all these services and it's uh, a salt pool and uh but it's not like a working steam room you can't really make different kinds of steam and use it, put, put a, the stove through its paces. Um, there's one in San Francisco that's quite good too, called Archimedes uh, Banya. Um, but that, it's also a hybrid stove. It's different. It was uh, created by a Swiss engineer and the owner uh, who's Russian. Um, you can sort of make it steam like you would in a Russian Banya, but not entirely. So there's one in Dallas, there's some in Miami, um, uh, Detroit. There's a, So, I move around and I'm experiencing a lot of um, banyas or sort of banya banyas Russian style steam rooms. Um, but you know, when my book was released, uh, I had a book launch party at the banya outside Philadelphia, and Grisha, the steam maker from Moscow, uh, came in for it, and he made. So I invited people for the launch. We made all kinds of Russian food, but for about three or four hours before the actual reading, uh, Grisha and I made steam. And we basically can make a steam that's almost as good, that's pretty much no difference uh, from what we used to make, what he used to make in Moscow. And um, if 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 the stove is, if, if we can nail it, uh, it's it, we don't have as many tools as we did in Moscow. Um, the, the stove isn't quite as powerful, and we and 
the one in Moscow, actually, the steam room actually has like a sort of propeller you spin on the top of the ceiling that pushes out air and brings in pressure. Anyway, but uh, in some in some cases, the steam is 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 very legit. And finally, um, what's your favorite Russian proverb about the banya and why? Well, it feels undramatic to say, you know, of banya vseravni, that everyone's equal in the banya. I, I think that that's it. Some of my, my some of my favorites are the ones that rhyme, <laughs> like "vanya vinik darujedinik." The the vinik are these bundles of leafy twigs that you use, and it's like it basically says in the banya, a bundle of leafy twigs is worth more than money. Ah, um, din chess. How does it go? Um, the day you steam is a day you don't age. Uh, let me look. I, yeah. Wow. My my Russian pronunciation, that's pretty bad. Um but it's it's uh I don't speak enough. My muscles are getting out of shape, as it were, my Russian language muscles. But but I love I love that too, that the day you go to the banya is the day you don't age. Um and I think it's true. <laughs> I think you I think you it's like a it's like what do you call it? Uh it's like a draw that day. It doesn't really count to your eventual <laughs> death. That was Brian McWilliams, a journalist, essayist, poet, and translator. His writings have appeared in such publications as The New York Times, The Chronicle of Higher Education, Nature, The Literary Review, and Body. His book, The Girl in a Haystack, A True Life Holocaust Story from Ukraine, is forthcoming in the fall of 2018 from Serving House Books. His memoir, with Light Steam, A Personal Journey Through the Russian Baths, was published by Northern Illinois University Press. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you like this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thanks to all my high excellencies, high well-borns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye! Yeah.
Yeah.